Hello and welcome. This is the Trapping Today podcast, episode 99. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Thank you for tuning in. It's great to have you here. Great to be here. Talk Trapping. The podcast is brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com, where you can get all your trapping supplies to get started. They have all kinds of baits and lures, books, DVDs, urine, uh, just traps, just about everything that you need to get going on the trap line. So check out Cotsbros. I know a lot of you have done so, and I appreciate that very much, and I know they do as well. And to thank some of you for uh, that, as well as for leaving a review to the podcast, we get a nice little giveaway here. So we talked last week about Kellen Cotts' Flat Set Fix DVD and his Black Book of Coyote Trapping. Kellen has given that away a couple times on the podcast, and he did an, offered another giveaway. So we did a little um, contest here from last week. I asked you guys to go ahead and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I did learn that you cannot give reviews on Spotify for some reason, but... Um, we worked that out. So anyway, I got a, emails from a bunch of you, and I've got a bunch of names here in a box. I've been shaking around, and we're going to draw it. First, I want to take a look at some of these reviews. We're up to 115 ratings, and we got some good reviews here. Let's see. Uh, epic show. Love listening to the podcast. A different aspect of trapping from what I'm used to in Georgia, but it's given me ideas to use on my line. I really enjoy the off-topics related to trapping, too. Appreciate that, Daniel. Uh, Fawn, I listen to trapping today because it brings pertinent and interesting content to me weekly. I met Jeremiah at a recent convention. He's the real deal. Wow, thank you. One of the great things about trapping is the constant need to learn. I don't see this changing no matter how long I do it. Thanks, keep up the good work. Absolutely, Fawn, I, I agree with that. Ken says, great podcast. I uh, listen all I can. Keep up the great work. Cliff, awesome show. Love the podcast. You made my outlook on trapping all the better, from location to lures to scents. The information is awesome. Really saves me time from scouring books and websites. Keep up the great work. Can't wait to be able to listen to the next show. Cliff is from Indiana. All right, Total Web. I love the podcast, how you keep everything above the belt politics-wise. Really like how you ask the open question of how do we get folks more into and involved with trapping. You don't claim to be an expert. I absolutely don't because I'm not. But are asking to learn, and that really rings true with me. Ken says, great podcast, perfect blend of current subjects and topics while keeping the traditional ways alive by introducing the audience to the old school trappers. I love doing that. Many thanks for the hard work, and I always look forward to every episode. Wyoming Trapper, great podcast. I wish there was more like this. Makes my night shift at work go fast. That's good. Lee, new trapper in Idaho. I'm a new trapper here. This winter is going to be my first year. My target animals are wolves, coyote, and bobcat. My reason is to help manage the predators to protect the elk and deer. Idaho requires a trapping class. But I'm sure there's still so much more that I don't know, trying to learn all I can. Great. It's always good to learn. JLB says, love the show, never miss an episode. Good luck with the coyotes this year. And Trapper Jim out of Ohio, 
Oh, it says Trapper Jim, but he says his name is Mike. I'm only 28, a long-time hunter, just introduced to trapping by my uncle because I'm having a muskrat problem on the farm pond. Amazing podcast with Kyle Cotts and the wealth of info. I've started coyote trapping on my property, and I look forward to the podcast every week. Awesome. Great to hear. So thanks, guys, for the reviews. And the winner is going to be John R. All right, John, thank you very much. I will send you an email, and we'll get your mailing address and get that book and DVD sent out to you right off. The podcast is also brought to you by Fur Harvesters Auction, where the world comes to buy wild fur. Fur Harvesters is an auction house run by trappers for trappers. They have receiving depots and people who will take in your fur from places all over the country. You can check them out at furharvesters.com and you can find your close an area that's closest to you where you can send fur. You can find pickup routes if you have routes in your state or nearby where people are going to go by and pick up fur. And uh, you can find more information see what past auction results have been and when the latest auctions uh, are, are going to be held. So check out Fur Harvesters at furharvesters.com. And in tonight's episode, we have a couple of things going on. Before I forget, you have seven days to get in your surveys. Trappingtoday.com slash survey. Complete the trapper survey. I think about 10% of the people who download this episode have responded to the survey so far. It's actually a little less than that. So we need some survey responses, and you have seven days to do it. And you will be drawn, entered into the drawing for the 10 Cots Brothers DVDs. I have a list here. The Flat Set Fix, In the Lure Room, and Cracking the Code, which are lure-making DVDs. Skunks, the best investment you'll ever make. How to basically skin a skunk, all the value you can get out of a skunk with the essence and everything. How to take the essence out. Glands, a trapper's commodity. Where the glands are, how to extract glands. Where to sell them. Muskrats, like money in the bank. Back to the basics. New Mexico Sandhills Coyote Trapping in the fur shed, and road lining. So 10 DVDs that you will be eligible for. And this is a one-shot deal. One person gets all 10 of these. And all you have to do to be eligible is to fill out the Trapper survey. Trappingtoday.com slash survey takes like two or three minutes. Not hard at all. I've got a lot of great responses. So you have until Saturday uh, to do that. Saturday the uh, 19th. And I will be drawing, uh, picking a name out of those survey respondents. And I will be going over the survey results at some point. So check that out, trappingtoday.com slash survey. Fill it out. Be great to help me uh, moving forward with the show. I interviewed Stan Zeray. Uh, you remember from last week, we listened to a bit of that interview. We had Stan and I had a long conversation. We went into a bunch of different topics, but tonight I wanted to talk about Martin, and I have a portion of the interview with Stan where we talked about his Martin trap line up in Alaska, but I wanted to kind of do this a little separate from the rest of the interview because I had a question from a guy in Utah about Martin trapping, so I just wanted to go over a little bit of that. I thought I would go over 
the Utah Martin trapping and my little bit of experience there and then go into the interview with Stan. So just a little bit of Martin from places uh, very far apart, uh, but a very common theme uh, a lot of times with, with certain species. So let's, take, let's get into it. All right, so John uh, talks about he's, he lives in Utah, and him and his wife are going to trap Martin this year up in the Uintas. He says, there's not a lot of time, a lot of information about preseason Martin, we spent quite a lot of time up in the mountains, have come up with what we think are some good spots. I'm looking by streams, good trails, and thick, thick, thick old pine trees, spruce, ponderosa pine, Douglas fir, along with some quakies, quaking aspen. We've located on all the spots that we've looked at, red squirrel denning or chew piles made out of pine cones, lots of holes, a lot of down trees, etc., so he's asking basically if he's on the right track as far as finding Martin's sign. And then he's talking about uh, the sets and the regulations. Uh, our proclamation, which is their law book, states we have to have an elevated set. We're dealing with exposed bait laws. I have some beaver, so he's got some beaver uh, meat bought from Cotts Brothers and some red label. Um, with the, the recommendation of what to use, the only problem is he's struggling with how to bait the cubbies. They're using paper route boxes, and there's some confu somewhat confusing state laws about baiting, baiting and using bait and cubbies and everything. So uh, we'll talk about that. So he goes into a little bit more information, but that's what we're going to cover. So it just so happens that I lived in Utah for a little while, not quite two years, and I was a Martin Trapper from Maine, and when I found out that there was a possibility to trap Martin in Utah, it, it really got me fired up. So I actually did some Martin trapping in the Uintas where John is going. Um, I, I didn't do a lot of it. We didn't trap for a long time, but a friend and I uh, went out there and made a bunch of sets and, and had one heck of a time. We, we had a little trapping adventure, so I'll, I'll talk about that just a little bit. So I had a friend named Aaron. Uh, he he was from Utah. He we were going to school together. I was a we were both kind of fisheries students at the time, and Aaron was also an avid trapper. I remember he was he was going to school, taking classes. He was also working for the Division of Wildlife Resources at the time, and he was trapping. And he was trapping pretty hardcore. He he was on a wildlife management area in the where he lived and during the season you know he's balancing his job he's taking classes at school and he's trapping muskrats and he caught uh, one year while I was there he was trapping he caught 600 muskrats if I remember right so uh, pretty it may have may not have been quite that many I can't remember but pretty impressive regardless uh, the guy was and is one heck of a trapper he's actually last I heard from him he was up in Alaska working up there and trapping as well uh, he was looking maybe to get back to the states and get back to the west closer to home so Aaron and I get to talk and trapping you know and I don't know how it came about but but we got on this conversation about Martin trapping and I was missing it and I don't believe he had ever he may have Martin trapped he was in Idaho a little bit I don't know if he ever trapped Martin there but anyway, we we got into this discussion, and we wanted to go Martin trapping. So we planned it out, and and we got all ready for it, and prepared, and had all our traps, and and everything. I I had brought I had brought a lot of my traps with me, 
I think so so I had left Maine and I went to work in Idaho for fishing game and I was planning on working there uh, it was a summer job but I was just grad just graduated from University of Maine and they were going to hire me through about I believe it was through November and I was pretty pumped up because I was like man I'm gonna I'm gonna be able to do some trapping you know and, and so I brought all my hunting stuff to, to be able to hunt out in Idaho and I brought some traps and some trapping gear as well just whatever I could fit in my my back of my pickup truck I had a Ford Ranger with a topper on it and I loaded that thing right up with with all kinds of clothes and uh, whatever basically all my worldly possessions at the time which wasn't much uh, and some guns uh, and some traps so I had some traps and I bought a few other traps I actually went down and that was when Montgomery Fur Company was was going and Terry Montgomery was uh, was in charge there and he was he'd been a fur buyer for a long time he was still a fur buyer at the time he uh, sold traps he owned a bridger trap company and so he he had he he was he had all kinds of trapping supplies he was down there in that salt lake area i can't remember he might have been provo uh, but i remember i drove down there and i bought a bunch of trapping supplies i basically spent all the meager little savings that i had at the time on traps mostly and we we put together an outfit and I jumped in Aaron's truck and threw all my stuff in there, and he threw all his stuff in there. His truck was piled up. We actually had a camp to stay in for a couple nights, and we went martin trapping. So Utah has an... It, there's only a, one portion of the state, or one, one... There's four counties in Utah that you can actually trap martin in. They are Daggett, Duchesne, Summit, and Uinta counties. And so the trapping there is very limited. There's there's only a small area where Martin actually are are present in decent enough numbers to be trapped. These four counties are located in the, the northeast corner of Utah, and it, the, it's kind of hard to describe because there really is no northeast corner of Utah. If you look at the state, it's kind of carved out of uh, Wyoming and Idaho. So the the Utah there's it's kind of like a square that has a, a, a large square that has a small square that's cut out of it, or a small rectangle cut out of it in the northeast corner. And that that portion uh, is is occupied by Wyoming, but just south of Wyoming on the Utah side is what I, was, I, I would call northeast Utah, and that's the area where these four counties are located in the Uinta Mountain Range. So this is a, a pretty neat area. It's um, a lot of national forest land, and that's basically where you're gonna where the timber is, and where you're gonna trap martin. It was for me, it was about a three-hour drive, if I remember right, from Logan in uh, where where I was going to school at Utah State University. So it was quite a drive in in you know in terms of trying to go and check traps and drive back and drive back there and balancing it with with school and and other work related tasks it was it wasn't something that we could do long term so basically what we did is we we went out there we set a bunch of traps we stayed a couple three days and then we went back home 
uh, I can't. I think it was either a three or a four day check law. I I want. I thought it was three, but I just looked at the regulations, and it's right now it, it's a 96 hour. So we waited for whatever the check law was, and then we went back and 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 on that second trip is when we pulled our traps. So it wasn't a very uh, a very extended trap line. It was, you know, probably only about seven or eight days total, eight or nine days. But we had approximately 80 traps out. I think we each had 40 traps out on that line. So. Um, so we 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 hit it pretty good. I mean, we didn't we didn't catch a pile martin, but we caught martin. So just just in general, the area is where we trapped was all national forest. It is it is the only area in the state that's open to martin trapping. There is uh, non-residents can trap in Utah. They get a pretty if if you're a non-resident want to make a trip and do this. I mean, it's not it's not like uh, you're gonna hit the gold rush or anything. In my experience, it, it wasn't super loaded with martin. I mean, the martin densities to me didn't seem extremely high. Um, it was, you know, there were martin there, and they were in pretty good numbers, but they 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 weren't as high as I've seen in other places. Maybe you can compare it to a lot of the trapping that I do here in in the industrial forest portions of northern Maine that have been harvest timber harvested really heavy. And, and don't provide as much martin habitat. That Some of that was maybe a little bit marginal. You know, you're kind of on the edge of, of martin range, and uh, it's, it's high elevation, which, which martin do like, but it's it's just like you're going to hear with, you know, Stan Zaray talking about his martin up in Alaska. Very similarly, the, the food is very limited there. So you have to cover a lot of ground just because, you know, the country's pretty sparse. It's not super super productive country, but it it was it, it was a mixture of of like uh, pine, uh, it it was a mixture of pine and spruce or lodgepole pine and whatever spruce species was there, and you'd have aspen uh, stands, kind of um, in a number of areas, kind of in the valleys, you'd have aspens and you have the the spruces up in the mountains and lodgepoles maybe somewhere in between the area had a really well maintained road through it and we trapped off the road with pickup so mo- most everything we trapped you could you could drive and and there was actually a portion of paved road where we were doing some of our trapping and uh, oh but then there were also a lot of dirt roads that we trapped off of as well pretty neat area pretty uh pretty good access and and lots of great habitat and incredible scenery that was where i believe that was the area that the uh, film the movie jeremiah johnson was filmed way back in the day the rod robert redford film and and if you've seen that movie you've seen the scenery and how beautiful it is well that's exactly what what that is that's what what you're trapping in there so, as far as martin habitat, just in general, just for you know for John's benefit here, you're looking at the right stuff. Um, I, the only thing I wouldn't maybe look at is you're talking about some really thick, thick, thick stuff. That's a little subjective uh, term as far as thickness of timber goes because in 
what thick timber is in northern Maine or the northeast is a lot different. You know, thick timber up here, you can't even walk through. It's, it, we call it dog hair. Thick timber there is a little bit different. It, it's more, you know, there's, most of that area is, is uh, it's a little more manageable. There's not a lot of brushy undergrowth or really thick, thick undergrowth that I could recall. Uh, but but you may want to avoid some of the super thick stuff. What you're looking at with Martin is is a combination of things. Well, two major things is overhead cover and food availability within that overhead cover. And uh, kind of a third thing to think about is is denning areas or or uh, you know large woody debris that would provide denning areas. But but the woody debris is kind of serves a couple of purposes. Uh, both both denning and shelter for martin as well as shelter and habitat for food so if you have an area where you've got a lot of downed woody debris you have a lot of small spaces and cover for mice and voles and and squirrels and and other critters that uh, animals like martin will be hunting for there's a lot of area out there that doesn't really have that. And there's a lot of area where Martin live in general that doesn't necessarily have that super thick overhead cover or super uh, high complexity of habitat on the ground, on the forest floor. But Martin seem to get by in that stuff. You're just maybe not going to see super high densities of them. One thing that you mentioned was the, the squirrel uh, feedings. Those... Those are typically referred to as squirrel middens. They're piles of stuff that squirrels drop as they're feeding on on cones, on pine cones and and, uh, and spruce cones. And those those piles actually can be used by Martin to as denning areas as dens. So if those piles those squirrel middens get super high and there isn't a lot else around, they will use that. Um, Mice will use them. Mice will use all kinds of other things if if there's not a whole lot available for for cover. So you're looking you're looking in the right places. Uh, areas near streams are are always good. Um, edges are good if you have an area where there's plenty of overhead cover and there's also some open area that provides more habitat complexity where you you tend to see more of the mice and voles. So look for those edge areas, uh, but I wouldn't probably wouldn't set way out in the open uh, of the edges. But basically, you're you're looking at the right things. It it's pretty straightforward, and and the trouble with Martin is they don't leave a lot of sign. So it's it's challenging. It can be difficult to actually figure out whether you're on Martin habitat until you actually make your sets and see what you catch. And if you do this year after year you're going to find patterns in places where you catch Martin and then you're going to be able to go back to those areas and and you'll know that that's a reliable place to make a set and that's where I'll likely catch uh, a Martin. You can also pre-bait. You can set bait ahead of time and you can see whether that bait is is taken and you know if you set that high up in a tree and cover it up so the birds don't get it, uh, you have a, a reasonable expectation that it's probably a Martin that that took that. So things to think about. But you're you're in Martin habitat. I wouldn't expect super high numbers. Like I said, we set 80 sets. Aaron and I set 80 sets for 
uh, a week, a little over a week, and we caught six martin. But they're there, and they, if I remember right, they were spread out among a lot of different, uh, throughout the the entire area from where we started setting to where we ended. They were, you know, they weren't just like in one particular area. They were spread out pretty good. And in most all of the habitat that we covered, you know, we caught Martin in. Let's get into actual sets. So Utah, Utah has some interesting regulations. Actually, you know, it's a pretty trapping-friendly state compared to a lot of states, but sometimes there are some goofy regulations, and you wonder, how do they come up with this, or how do they come up with that? It's it's funny, but, you know, everything has a reason, of course. So when it comes to martin trapping, they're there are some good things and then there are some odd things. Now you do have to get a special Martin permit. Uh, as far as I know, and, and Martin do need to be tagged there. As far as I know, they just want to know how many people are trapping for Martin and how many Martin are being harvested. So they can have an idea of whether they should be concerned about the Martin populations. So so overall that's not bad. The, the permit doesn't cost you anything. You, you actually have if you're gonna martin, if you're gonna martin trap there and bobcat trap, you have to have your general trapping license. You have to pay a one-time fee to get an ID number for your trap tags because in Utah, instead of your name and address on the trap tags, they give you a specific number that you have um, for your trap tags. And so you have to get that ID. And then you have to get a bobcat permit, and you have to get bobcat tags if you want to trap them. Used to be six. I noticed they just switched to uh, five tags per trapper. And then you have to get your martin permit. But once you get that, and if you're non-resident, it's only 150 bucks for the trapping license. Once you get all of that, you can go trap martin. And the season is like it's open right now. It's it's not very restrictive. It's like September. 21st to March 1st this this season so it's a super long season of course the UNAs get snowed in they can get snowed in pretty early that's actually one of the reasons we pulled our traps was we got just enough snow to make it challenging to drive in and we were afraid one more storm and and we'd be over we'd be toast we wouldn't be able to get into our sets and it was a there was a lot of ground we covered and neither of us had a snowmobile so, so that's some high country there, and and so it, you know you may need to get in early or or get a snowmobile, and the so so that's you know generally a very open season and no bag limit. You can you can catch as many martin as you want. Now the regulations for sets are a little bit can be a little bit confusing because they're they're very um, they're not very specific the regulations specify and, and this is this is something that you always got to check on because I actually you know I trapped in Utah that was 12 years ago and I just read the their law book for fur bears and it is it there's a lot of changes that have taken place since I was there so and and it's a, it appears that almost all of those changes have been uh, more restrictive, so you got to watch out, and uh, and it seems that you know they're tightening up on a number of things. So you you always have to pay attention, uh, and 
and expect don't expect things to to be the same just because you've trapped there before. There's a new regulation. I remember when I trapped in the ditches for coons. I was catching coons and mink in the ditches, and we'd have uh, you could set two twenties in buckets. You just cut your slots out for your springs, toss the bait in the back of the bucket, and set the two twenty at the opening. You can still do that, kind of. <laughs> so they have just in general their bait their bait rules have always been a little bit different. You can't use any bait cannot be exposed from any angle if it's greater than like one cubic inch. So it's that's essentially any bait unless you you know have little tiny tiny chunks of bait. You can use bones and stuff like if you're coyote trapping but you can't use any exposed bait. The exception to that is cubbies and it used to be that if if it was in a cubby you didn't have to worry about it, it wasn't visible from above and and that was as far as they went with the regulation. Now the way the regulation reads, and they have a, a diagram here, you're, you can't use any exposed bait. You can still use bait exposed in a cubby, but it can't be visible from above, and they specify how you can get that done. And what needs to happen is the bucket or the cubby has to be tilted in a way to where the top edge of the bucket is equal or lower than the elevation or the level of the bait. So that sounds if that sounds confusing, it is confusing unless you you look at the actual diagram in the regulations. And basically what you have to do is pick up the back of your cubby so the cubby is kind of facing at a downward angle but you also have to elevate your bait inside of that cubby and that means that if depending on how much bait you use and how high you get that bait up uh, you may you may have to put in a heck of a tilt on that cubby <laughs> so so it can be this is this is not straightforward i know i'm not explaining this very good but I'm gonna, it's going to be easier for martin trapping Basically, to make it simple, if you're trapping for coons in the ditches and cubbies with buckets, you're going to have to attach your bait to the top back corner of the bucket, and you're going to have to tilt that bucket down just a little bit so that the, the front edge of the bucket on the top end is e even or lower than the level of the bait. So basically, you got to find a way to affix the bait in the top corner of your bucket. You can probably do something. You can probably screw it into the corner. You could probably put a hook there. You can probably make little compartments in the top corner of your bucket to put bait in. I'm sure uh, maybe drill two holes on the top of the bucket and run a wire through that and have your bait attached to the wire inside the bucket. I'm sure there's all kinds of creative ways that Utah trappers have figured out how to do this. But it's, it's not as easy as the old days where you just toss bait in the back of the bucket and stick a trap in front of it. So, in order to do this legally martin trapping, John was concerned about the artificial cubby, or not using anything over an inch um, from visible from any angle. And there's a couple ways that you can do this. You can do this in a cubby, and bait can be visible from the lower angle if it's in a cubby. If you read the the exposed bait regulation, it 
it actually provides an exception for cubbies and then it shows the specific cubby uh, rule. So you can do this. In Utah, the Martin regulations require you to use an elevated covered set. And that's as specific as, as it's ever been. Uh, I believe the intent of that was to prevent the possibility of catching Canada lynx, which I are not, if they're there, they're not very common. Um, but, but anyway, that, that was, I believe that was the intent. And it's been quite effective because I don't know that anybody's caught one. But elevated covered set, what does that mean? So elevated means not on the ground. And covered means covered up. So the most common way that I saw trappers who, who trap Martin in the UNS did this was stick a newspaper tube on top of a fallen log, a horizontal log. So you wire newspaper tube to the log, you put your bait in, and you stick your 120 in front of the newspaper tube. Have a nice day. You've got your set. It's elevated, it's up off the ground on the log, and um, it is covered. Now, that was before this added complication of the angle and the lip of the bucket and the bait not being visible um, from above or directly in front, I guess. So now what you would have to do, and you, this is what I would recommend for John to do, is to make your set on a leaning pole or a tree that is leaning over. And you set your newspaper tube, you attach it to the pole or the tree. The pole can be leaning at any angle. It can be 45 degrees or greater. Uh, it could be a little less. I would recommend maybe, maybe a little less than 45 degrees. And you just have to make sure that on a straight horizontal line that the top of that newspaper tube if you look, if you're looking straight across at the to the at the top of that newspaper tube, that you don't see the bait below it. So if you have a higher angle, your bait can come a little bit lower in the box. Um, there's also an eight inch. Your bait has to be re recessed at least eight inches from the entrance of the cubby. Um, but with a newspaper tube, you'll be beyond eight. So what I would recommend, somewhere around a 40, 45 degree angle, stick your bait all the way in the back of that newspaper tube. And then cut out, take some heavy-duty um, screen, wire screen mesh material, like, you know, the big thick stuff that's maybe quarter inch by quarter inch or something, and and make sure it's the rigid type, like that welded panel um, mesh, and cut that and cut squares of that so they just fit inside the newspaper tube. And what you do is you shove your bait up all the way to the back, your, your beaver meat or whatever you're going to use, shove that all the way to the back of the cubby, and then stick that wire screen into the cubby and push it back until it gets caught on the plastic of the cubby. Make sure that's at least 8 inches in and far enough to, that, to where, depending on your angle, you can't see that from the lip of the newspaper tube. Set your trap, have a nice day, you're done, you're legal, you're elevated, you're covered, your bait is not visible. So that's that's the way to do that. Always, you know, it wouldn't hurt to run this by a warden, but I'm sure that's the way you guys are doing it now. Um, the other thing that I did, and, and you definitely want to run this by a warden now because I don't know what their interpretation of, of it is now, 
but we did get opinions on on it to make sure I was always, I'm always paranoid I want to make sure I'm following the law um, last thing I want to do is is get in trouble and I what I was doing is taking uh, t-shirts I was taking old t-shirts and cutting them into sections and then I'd wrap the bait up in the t-shirt and I'd nail that to a tree and I make a leaning pole set and I you know I'd set my I'd have a bracket with my 120 clamped to the bracket and just behind that a few inches I'd have that that bait um, wrapped in a t-shirt and what that did is it it the bait was covered by the shirt so it was not visible no meat or anything was visible to anything from any angle but the Martin could still smell the bait and I caught Martin with that set um, so it, it definitely works I run it by the wardens just to make sure you know I don't know if some blood soaked through the t-shirt or something if they they would say oh that's visible or not I'm really not sure um, the the people who are writing the tickets are the ones you want to be make sure uh, uh, make sure that that they are of like mind and and they consider it legal otherwise it's not worth the trouble and then finally the other set that is uh, not visible from above is covered and elevated is the Mike Lipinski set and it's a pretty weatherproof set uh, I, Mike didn't originate it but he shared it in his video uh, wilderness trap line or wilderness trapping it was it's it's probably my favorite trapping video um, and and it is Oh, Lipinski, oh, he recorded that video, oh, it must have been at least 20, 25 years ago. Uh, it was very popular, and he showed how to make a set there that's basically just a vertical cubby set. It's very simple. I've used it before. It, I used it in Maine before it became illegal in Maine, um, just because we were required to do things a very specific way. Not because it could catch links; it's probably the most links-proof set uh, out there. But it's it's basically you you nail your bracket into the side of a tree, a vertical tree, it can be a tree of any size, and you clamp your 120 body grip onto that bracket, so your your 120 is coming out at a 90 degree angle from the tree. So basically, Martin's going to have to run straight up. You could do this with a flower pot too. Guys do this, uh, do the flower pot set quite a bit as well. So they got to run straight up through that to get to your bait. You nail your bait, oh, five, six inches above your trap, and then you have to cover that. So what Mike does is he puts a couple of nails at an, at an angle next to each other above the bait, and then he uses uh, tree boughs and he shoves them into the slots between the two nails. He puts one on each side and one over the front and basically you've just made a vertical cubby that is uh, weatherproof. It's not, you know, you can that trap can take six inches, a foot of snow. It's not going to make the set inoperable and Martin's going to come along on the along the ground. He's going to smell something. He's going to go to the base of the tree, look up. He's going to see the bait from down below at the base of the tree. He's going to run right up the tree, no sweat, through that trap, snap, get caught. Have a nice day. You got your Martin. So those are the sets I would use. And and uh, I would just run through everything. Make sure you're legal. You're in good location. Make lots of sets. Uh, use 
use good bait. Don't just use beaver. You try a few different things. Try a variety of different baits. Um, try some fresh bait, maybe a little bit of tainted bait. Try different lures. Um, I know my my long distance call lure works great up there for for uh, for that that type of uh, trapping because mine is very similar to Scott Phillips's uh, Martin Magnum Martin, which which is the lure he actually developed that lure trapping in that area, and he I watched a demo. Um, he did one time on Trapping Martin in the UNS, and he was probably the most notable notable trapper that, that I was aware of that did it up there. So very, very effective lure there. Um, but basically, it's just it's a call lure. You know, and those Martin are, they're not super high density, so they're oftentimes, they can be moving long distances. The other thing that I've learned from those guys up in Alaska is you, you get, when you have high elevation differences you can get inversions in temperature and I knew you know when we were in Utah there were a lot of inversions where it'd be warm up at the top of the mountains and it'd be colder in the valleys and and that can that can cause those critters to move long distances scarcity of food can cause them to move long distances and anytime they're moving long distances and they're not necessarily confined to certain travel areas or corridors a, a long distance call lure is going to be effective because you know you don't know where that martin's going to be coming from. You're not probably with the low densities, you're not going to be right on a martin home range necessarily. So the long distance call is going to catch their attention and bring them in, and then then it's time for your bait to do its work. So I hope that helps, John. Any other questions? Let me know. That it was fun to think about that trap line. Again, we also did some other trapping. We got. We got a few other critters on that line. We got some beavers there. That was pretty cool. But uh, it was a lot of fun. Beautiful, beautiful place. I wish I could do it again. And who knows, maybe someday I will make that trip again. Uh, but it won't be anytime soon. So I hope that was useful. Now, let's get into Stan Zare's talk about Martin Trapping in, in our interview we did the other day. And some of his Martin Trapping observations up in Alaska. You had a really good... Uh, Martin season. I th- was it last year or the year before? And, uh, and it was last year. Last year was the uh, I caught more Martin per mile. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm not putting on as many miles as you know years back. Uh, but I caught more Martin per mile than I ever did, and it was I, I, I attribute it to the burn we had a big fire here in uh, uh was it 2015 or 2013 or something like that. a big fire and it burnt a lot of country I, like a record amount of country in the in- whole interior of alaska here and a lot of it was centered around uh us here too the village was even threatened um at one time there was evacuation out of here of the elders and young people but uh that, all that burnt country uh, is growing up now in grass and willows, and it really seems like it's increased uh, the mice and the rabbits in places I've never seen it before. So um, that's and everybody says it's that's what that's why there's so many mutton everywhere. So it all seems to fit together. Yeah, I've heard from other people that after burns, uh, oftentimes you get big catches like that. Um. 
Um, I don't know how long it lasts. Yeah. And then it's supposed to drop off, too. It's not yeah. supposed to go on forever here. A couple of years, a few years, and then it starts tapering off. But, yeah. But, yep. Take advantage of it while you can. Yeah, and also it uh, it seems like you know it's not just it's it's the foxes and the wolves. It seems like there's uh, uh, for the first time in a long time uh, we had a wolf pack uh, behind town here too, and uh, I was even uh, you know going after them too. I was I actually was able to. It's legal to shoot on your trap line wolves. You know, if you have a trap license, you can actually shoot them as a, a trapper and uh, I was able to get some wolves that way too so it was a good year for that too and because so, some years uh, they'll except for maybe a single or uh, two or three wolves at most you know yeah. uh, that's all I'll be on the whole line for the winter you know some of the big packs don't come um, you know they travel on the Yukon here on some of the guys trap lines down here on the Yukon but uh, where I am, you know, there's just there's so few moose, there's so few caribou. It's just there's just no there's no packs out there, you know. Barren, barren country. Yep, yep. But uh, last year there was there was some, and I bet they'll, you know, there's also some caribou that came in last winter too. So that was the other thing too. So I don't think the fires brought them in though, but. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but you don't really get links in that area. I don't see how area. it would. What's that? Do you don't really get links in that area? No. Nah. Nah. There is, uh, uh, yeah, even at the height of uh, the rabbit cycle, you know, you don't see a lot of links. To the south of here, you do. It's uh, a lot of big lake country to the south of Canada, and uh, some of those guys have, you know, had some of those guys tell me uh, I've seen pictures too uh, 60 80 links in a season you know that kind of thing so we do have some of that kind of trapping around here and there's like I say this uh, number of people you know in, in really good country uh, on these hills right off of the Yukon they, they'll catch uh, you know like 200 martin and stuff in a season yeah so uh, over the years 40 or so years of of martin trapping do you have any have you developed any theories or ideas or things that you like like to do that are effective well um uh yeah i've tried a lot of uh i've tried a, a lot of different things a lot of scents a lot of uh different kinds of baits uh meat and versus fish and and a lot of different kinds of sets, you know, ground sets and and uh, conibears and and uh, and you know, and I, I I basically I just keep it real simple now, and I've been doing that for a long time. Uh, it's uh, every set is a pole set, and it's that way because the martin fur is so much better quality. You know, you don't have uh, any animal that's uh, frozen into the ground, and uh, you know when they're caught, they just they're just uh, in a pole set and they just die real quick, and uh, and the fur is you know not damaged from being in contact with the ground and the mice and and stuff like that, and uh, and I have so much uh, 
fish that I've soured fish that I feed the dogs. That that's what I feed. Uh, that's what I put on the uh, on the sets too. That's mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. just run. Uh, you know, in the beginning of the season when it's uh, a little warmer, I'll run. Uh, you know, this dry fish, uh, which is a little has a little bit of moisture to it, and it's the stuff I feed the dogs uh, when they're traveling. You know, it's what I call dry fish, and and. Uh, and uh got a youtube video on how that's all made and then um and then i have a uh, whole fish that we sour uh that's the fish that i feed the dogs in town and when it gets colder that stuff freezes pretty solid and uh and that's the stuff i'll use in the real cold weather it's basically it'd be the equivalent of taking a a fish a whole fish and letting it you know get kind of soured and then cutting it up into steaks and the steak i'll put a steak on each you know just suspend the steak on a wire underneath my pole set and uh yep and just keep it real real simple like that every set's that and then every tenth set i'll uh about every tenth trap or so i'll uh i'll put a big trap right underneath it and uh, that way if you get any stupid wolves or lynx or fox or something like that running your line trying to wolverine especially yeah. uh running your line trying to steal all your baits um they're going to go underneath that you know that fish hanging there and they're going to jump up at it and they're going to be jumping right on a trap and uh and then i have some oh a few snares and other sets for smarter wolves but still stupid wolves you know i don't do too much <laughs> to uh uh I don't go out of my way too much to uh, <clears throat> make sure I have a new pair of gloves every single set. Right. You know, I mean, I leave the I leave the the catching of the smart 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 wolves to other people. Yeah. That's the way I put it. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do Do you like yeah. to use any type of lure on your baited sets, or just bait? I do. Yeah, I I, I do. I got. Uh, uh, What's, what there's uh, some Magnum Martin or something that yeah. a lot of trappers up here use, and uh, you've probably heard of that one. I have, yeah. It's a, a, and, I used, uh, I've used it a lot in the past. Yeah, it seems like uh, you know. I mean, it, it, that's it's hard to it's hard to know, you know, what really works well. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do a lot of that stuff. And when I travel the trails, I always have Ziploc bags. If I if I come across any wolf piss or wolf cat you know i uh i always collect that and uh, put it in the little plastic bags and then when i make a set you know i i use that and uh um and you know um beaver casters and stuff like that and yeah any anything i've, I've used it all urine um yep do you have any yeah. any like set rule on how far apart you make your sets or you just places that you've seen tracks in the past or yeah i mean it's it's definitely related to you know where i've seen um uh, you know tracks uh a, a lot of times uh, i just make sure i don't go too long although there are some places in the open i go across this one stretch of 10 miles across uh it's just completely open for the whole 10 miles, maybe some willow washes or something like that. And, uh, you know, I'll, uh, you know, I go a long way in that kind of country, yeah. but, uh, 
but yeah, generally I just make sure I have a set every every now and then in a in a good place where I've seen a lot of martin sets or something like uh martin tracks, I mean. And uh and and the wolves they'll run your trails a lot and stuff. So, you know, just a a good place where there's uh just the right kind of bunch of trees or something to make a a wolf set or something, you know. I don't you know, but uh, every uh, with the dogs, it's funny. You know, with, the, with the dogs, um, I have to make sure that every set I make, I have a good hook down spot where there's a tree I can hook onto <laughs> with, okay. the, with my hook. You know, yeah. so it's different yeah. than with the snow goes. So I, you know, it does. It, it it might just be the difference between one spot and a spot. Uh, you know, 30 feet down the trail, but, you yeah. know, every place has to have a good hook down place because uh, those damn dogs, when they, uh, if they're fresh, you know, and uh, feeling their oats, you know, they'll, they will take off on me, you know, and uh, yeah, uh, when, I, it's funny though, when they get tired, you know, you can have 16 dogs sitting there and you can say, whoa, and you can walk off the trail 15 feet and, and just the tra- tra- uh, sled will just be sitting there and the dogs and no hook in and and uh, they they're not interested in going at all you know but but uh, yeah you got to you got to have a place where you can hook down that yeah. must be the most frustrating thing watching them run off on you yeah i have uh yeah, I, one. Yeah, I've had them go. I, I've never like in the real open country. Maybe because I'm just so careful. One time, I, I did in the open country. I had them take off, and they went uh, three miles, and they hit a little willow draw, and they would have went another three miles oh. had I uh, had I had that sled not got hung up on on some willows and stuff. But. Uh, yeah, there are places they could go a long ways, but generally, uh, you know, in the trail through the woods or something, you know, eventually a sled's gonna, you know, hook around a tree or something like that. Sure. Or, or uh, but yeah, they pulled a hook on me on the top of this hill, and it was a barren hill, and uh, they just cruised for the next three miles, and, <laughs> and uh, oh yeah, it's yeah, you, you don't want to be out in the in the bad wind and stuff. Because there are some people who have. Uh, I I know some uh, a lot of the women used to that uh, back when you know in the early years you know there'd be a lot of women that would be running dogs and uh, and and they would uh, when they had their kids in the sled they'd tie themselves to the sled you know really yeah they would they wouldn't even they'd put something around their waist or their wrist or something like that and they'd just tie themselves to it yeah you don't want to take a chance. No, no, no. Now I read some in some old books uh, from old timer trappers talking about dogs. Uh, Martin being afraid of dogs. Uh, is there any truth to that? I'm being afraid. Well, uh, ooh, like, I mean, they, like they say, uh, oh, you don't you uh, want to get off am. your dog team and and go and and set those those Martin traps on foot so that because uh, because they'll. they'll uh, they won't stick around in country where where, uh, where they can send, where they can hear or see dogs. Boy, uh, I mean they I, they don't like dogs. I mean they don't like people. I mean you know, uh, but uh, I, as far as I mean, uh, you know, my sets are not so close that if another dog team came along, um, that a dog could just kind of you know 
jump over and, and grab a hold of it. I mean, but they are very close to the trail. But the uh, Martin will travel right on the uh, dog trail sometimes. Okay. I mean, it doesn't seem like they... Uh, they it they don't smell a dog and take off for the next uh, river drainage or anything like no. that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. They, they, they just... Yep. Yeah, well... Maybe because they, uh, I don't know, I don't know, maybe, I mean, I'm sure a wolf tries to kill a martin. They probably have a heck of a time doing it, though. They just, all they got to do is run up a tree, gotcha, but, uh, uh, yep, nah, nah, it's not, it's not a problem yeah. that I've ever seen. So what are your thoughts on, uh, the... Dogs don't. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. You. All right. Uh, just, just thinking of overall trapping in general up there. Uh, do you see a bright future? You think, you think uh, guys will still be trapping the way they do uh, for decades to come? I think people will be doing it for themselves, for you know the the wolf fur and the wolverine and and stuff like that, and Martin too because of the hats and stuff. And there are a lot of people that just trap for that. Do not sell. Uh, you know, even the Martin fur, you know, but they're not trapping a lot, you know, they're just trapping for a few hats and stuff for the family, and, uh, but I'm, I'm really, uh, I really don't like, uh, I don't, I really don't like what I see, you know, as far as trapping for the future, it just doesn't, um, there's just so much anti-fur sentiment uh, on the outside world, and that's where the fur gets sold. You know, it doesn't get. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lo- some local markets here for fur, but you know, uh, in order to survive as as like a industry or a meaningful source of income for young people and uh, you know and, and older trappers, you know, it it needs that it needs those markets, you know, and. Uh, God, it's it's just it, the markets are just getting whittled down. It seems like, and the price is just so getting so low on fur, and there's so many animals that aren't worth anything now. You know, uh, it's one thing to see, you know, oh, martin prices drop down to you know fifty dollars a martin or thirty eight dollars a martin. There's been some really bad sales here yeah. this winter. Yeah. You know, uh, I did have an eighty dollar. Sale uh, one time, and and but everything after that was just down as low as thirty eight dollars, and it's like that's not worth it. That doesn't, especially guys with snow machine. I mean, my God, right. you know, it's uh, yeah, yeah. You you're taking a eight thousand dollar machine or twelve thousand dollar machine, and you're buying gas, and you're, I mean, it's hard to make a uh, a living, you know, and and it, it's, you know, it's one thing with myself, you know, because, uh, but y- it used to be, like, my kids grew up, and a lot of kids in this town grew up like this. They, uh, you know, my kids, when it get to be Christmas time, all their Christmas money for buying Christmas presents every year was from trapping. That's how they were taught they were, could afford to buy Christmas presents for all the people you know they go out and they set some martin traps and they would have little lines right out of the house here you know <laughs> just going into the woods you know and 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 they would catch uh 
Martin, you know, and, uh, and maybe links or something once in a while. And, uh, yeah, and it's sad because that doesn't exist anymore, you know, and it, it's just not, you know, it's just not, um, yeah, it's just not worth it, you know, for yeah. kids to get involved in it anymore like that, you know, and there's a lifestyle. I could live on it in the seventies between, you know, these little commercial fisheries we used to have up here, which were really tiny. They weren't, weren't very much, but you could make a little money doing that. You could make a little money trapping and, and, and stuff. And it was, you, you know, and people now, young people nowadays do not have that same opportunity. And it may be that the, the times they are changing and the world is changing and with all technology and social media and just people, I don't know, you know, that might have something to do with it. But if I had to be a, if I had to make a living trapping and fishing like I did in the uh, 70s and 80s and stuff like that, if I had to do that nowadays, it would be harder. And well, I don't it's... Like it. It's amazing that you were able to do it for so for as long as you did. Yeah, and I'm still doing it, but I'm also supplementing it with, you know, doing a little, you know, fishing in the summer and and uh, well, I'm still doing it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, except for just piecing together small sources of income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I do, but except for like right now, except for doing a little bit of equipment work, grading a little bit of snow in the winter here, which I don't do much of because sometimes it's there's hardly any snow here. But uh, you know that uh, sometimes that's not very much money at all either. Uh, you know, I I get by with that. All right, guys, that's it for tonight's episode. Thank you again for listening in. Hope you enjoyed a little bit of that Martin trapping information and just talking trapping in general. Get ready for the season. Keep on thinking trapping. Keep on talking trapping. Fill out that trapper survey, and we'll catch you on the 100th episode. I'm excited. Looking forward to it.